What is up, good people? Welcome back to the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for All the Saints and the Aints, also known as Holy Shit Pod, a holy, irreverent, irreverently holy conversation about spirituality, culture, and the world. I'm the host who always goes first, the Reverend Dr. Bishop Brandon T. Maxwell. <laughs> and I'm the host who should go first, but because I'm humble, I don't go first. The Reverend Samuel Lee White the Third. The Reverend Karen Teresa Ricks is not with us today, but she'll be back next week. She hasn't gone anywhere, but she just couldn't stand talking about today's topic, which is the devil. Today's Word of Pie conversation will feature a conversation about the devil and his, her, their place in our theological perspectives and backgrounds. Yeah. It's going to be interesting because that devil let me do it thing, it's not real. Is it not? I don't think so. Well, it depends on who the devil is, but we'll get into that later. First, we got some church announcements for the good of the congregation. So with that, let's get into it. Good morning. Good morning. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. Welcome back to Holy Shit Pod, where your three favorite pastors, but today just two of us, talk about all the things you talk about Monday through Saturday when you're not worshiping and lifting your hands in the sanctuary. We lift our hands in the sanctuary. Come on. We got three church announcements today, although only two of them are currently scripted on my computer screen. So we'll figure out what the third one is when we get there. The first one, for those of you who are still confused about how things work here in the United States of America, every year around this time, we enter this strange thing called daylight savings time that only we practice here in America. It's kind of like soccer. You know, that sport everybody else calls football. And no, I'm not talking about what Aaron Rodgers plays. Everyone else calls that rugby. What's rugby, you ask? Well, it's the sport that, but you, you know what? Never mind. The point is, in America, we do stupid things like make it get dark at freaking 6 p.m. for absolutely no reason. If Actually. Tell me. Tell me the reason. The fall is the end of daylight savings time. This is standard time? <laughs> yes. But why are we saving time? <laughs> we wanted to make the day brighter longer. I don't like it. So why don't we just <laughs> always stay in non whatever this fucking thing is? There have been arguments to make daylight savings time permanent. And for some reason, no, nobody has done it yet. Yeah. I don't even know what daylight saving times is, clearly, because it's that freaking confusing. In the fall, we roll our clocks back an hour just to screw with you. And apparently, this is the standard time when things always used to be this dark. So maybe I do like daylight saving time after all, because this getting dark at 6 p.m. shit is for the birds. But this is why all of you walked in church last Sunday an hour early and just sat there awkwardly trying to figure out why the choir was still rehearsing and no one was shouting. Because in America, we do dumb shit. <laughs> Well, first of all, if you showed up to church an hour early because of daylight savings time, that means you do not have a smartphone that automatically uh, changes the time for you. They turned off that setting. I need you to come up, come up, come up, people. Come up. You know, I turn off that setting. I don't want time zone support on my phone. I like to control a little bit more. Actually, I'm lying. I put it back on because of daylight saving times. Because in the United States, we do dumb shit. (laughs) I'm just saying, look right now. It's six o'clock at night. We're recording. It is dark. It's like midnight dark. Why did no one think to change the time sooner? 
didn't George Bush do this? I think so. This is why it is the way it is, because he didn't think this shit through. For our second church announcement, we would like everyone to know that vaccinations are required for those who plan to participate in in-person worship. No amount of prayer and no amount of summoning long dead civil rights leaders can serve as a substitute. On Friday, November the 5th... What What you mean? What you mean? Well, this is what I mean. On Friday, November the 5th, Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, don't get excited, don't do sports, revealed that he tested positive for COVID-19 much to everyone's surprise, Rogers shared that he has not observed the NFL's vaccine mandate and has no intention of doing so in the future. In an interview, Rogers claimed that he is allergic to one of the ingredients in two of the shots approved by the FDA. He also went on to share that he has received monoclonal antibodies and taken ivermectin as he a dog, giving credit to Joe Rogan, who is not a scientist, for championing invalid COVID-19 treatments. And as all white people like to do when they're backed into a corner, Rogers called on the ghost of Martin Luther King Jr. to make the criticism stop. He stated, the great Martin Luther King Jr. said that you have a moral obligation to object to unjust rules and rules that make no sense. I love the way folks be trying to quote King and other civil rights leaders. I mean, I really wish Katie was here because she is a lifelong Green Bay Packers fan and up until Rogers did this stupid stuff, she was also an Aaron Rodgers fan. I wish Katie was here with us today. <laughs> well, when she comes back next week, we can do a callback to this because I think she needs to speak for herself. She always disidentifies with her white people, but this one she claimed to love. Katie, we're waiting. I, I can't believe he quoted King. Quoted King. White people, y'all need to start quoting white people. <laughs> Stop <laughs> quoting our people that is cultural appropriation. <laughs> Wait a minute. Can they never quote black people again? Not when they in trouble. Okay. So only quote black people when you... <laughs> when you're not being yourself? When you're trying to be inspirational, when you're trying, not when you're trying to defend some stupid stuff. Don't quote us. <laughs> this is like two back-to-back church announcements where I'm doing sport things or using sport references. What's happening in the world? So who is Aaron Rodgers? I mean, I know who he is. Has he always been this sort of rough around the edges, don't follow the rules? What does he do? I don't know anything about Aaron Rodgers other than he's on one of those insurance commercials with like the Rodgers rate or something like that. I guess he hadn't been that controversial because we hadn't heard about any other episodes happening before now. You know, it's that thing where some people are comfortable saying some things in certain circles. Mm -hmm. He was comfortable and he really started showing his true colors, if you will. We see your true colors. It's background music. And then when this happens, they get upset when they start getting canceled, right? And that's why we cancel you. And you want to quote King, I have a dream. No, no, (laughs) no. Wait, what was the quote, Brandon? I was trying to be petty and say that he wasn't actually quoting King because he wasn't, but I do know he was trying to cite. What he said was the great MLK said that you have a moral obligation to object to unjust rules and rules that make no sense. So first, there's a problem with that. Mm -hmm. Rules around vaccination are not unjust and they're not nonsensical. Correct. Um, We have been being vaccinated against all types of diseases and viruses for decades and generations. He, as a kid, was vaccinated at some point. This is true. And so don't come pulling out these quotes uh, because your money is now getting affected. 
I mean, what he was trying to quote was the quote that's oftentimes attributed to Martin Luther King, an unjust law is no law at all. But King was actually quoting an old Latin sort of phrase when he was saying that because King was very well read. It was a legal maxim. And I think it's one that's used around the world, right? So it's not just that Martin Luther King said it. He actually could have quoted any of the white people who said it before that. Instead, he chose Martin Luther King because apparently that'll make people be quiet because King's a black man. Katie, we can't wait to hear you defend Aaron Rodgers next week. For our final church announcement, I think, Sam, you may not know about this at all, but Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone turned 20 years old. No, I don't know about that witchcraft. (laughs) (laughs) My grandmama turned it over in her grave. Right now. But so I also didn't know anything about Harry Potter because my mother would not let me watch any of the Harry Potter movies because it was witchcraft. It was wizardry. But one day, oh, one day on ABC Family, they had a marathon. And I said, I'm about to watch this. And I punched in, I think it was the fourth movie at that time, and then continued to watch five, six. And I think it was just before seven came out. And I was hooked. It is some of the best cinematography ever. Like, Harry Potter is amazing. And J.K. Rowling is a genius when she's not being transphobic. Wow. So you didn't ever, like, have any theological conversations about Harry Potter because there's so much theological content right there embedded in it. No, I didn't. And I was joking about my grandmama. I I was not prevented from watching Harry Potter. I've I've always heard that. Don't try to walk it back now. I wasn't. Like, my mama wouldn't even know what no Harry Potter was, but... (laughs) It was really white. And I need to see black people mm-hmm. in my stuff when I'm watching it. If it's a movie and ain't no black people in it, uh, uh, you know, stuff might be out a year and then I watch it. And I'll be like, oh, this was good. Why didn't I watch this? It's because there wasn't no black people in it. Uh, <laughs> so, so I got Yep. And I think I, I watched maybe a little bit of one one time when I was just flipping through and it was good. And I was like, hey, I don't know why I never watch Harry Potter. This is actually pretty good. Yeah. So here's our request. Warner Brothers Media. We need an all black and browned Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone for the 20th anniversary. If you really want to celebrate this 20th year, give us brown humans and Harry Potter. I'll watch that. But I I feel like we would mess it up. We probably would. The whole storyline is about this Lord Voldemort person trying to come and get Harry. I feel like black folks, we would have been done killed Voldemort in the first episode talking about why you whispering. It's got to (laughs) be, it's got to be comedy though. So it wouldn't even be the the storyline that you have. Like I would be laughing the whole time. It would be hilarious. I need Tiffany Haddish in there talking about she ready and all of that. (laughs) She walk into uh, Hogwarts talking about, oh, this is Nice. This concludes our church announcements for today. It seems so empty without Katie. Whatever were we going to do? But listen, we'll be right back after this quick break with a conversation about the devil. What's up, good people? This is the host with the most. If you like what you're listening to, we encourage you to head on over to patreon.com forward slash Media. Put a little love offering in the offering basket. We got to pay our bills, y'all. <laughs> For today's word of pod, we want to talk a little bit about the devil. Now, I'm not certain how we decided to talk about this. Ultimately, typically, I pick topics because Sam and Katie refuse to share anything. Oh, it has nothing to do with your penchant for power. It doesn't because I don't have one of those. Oh, okay. <laughs> so how this actually came to be, it's one of my favorite songs right now is called Never Be Defeated. Sing a little bit of it. I'm not going to do it. Sing a little bit of it. I shall rise, I shall be, I shall go. But that's not the part I want to get to. The end of it is, the devil is a liar, God is exalted. 
I'll never be defeated, never be defeated. The devil, I mean, that thing gets in my spirit. And so I listen to it and I'm sitting there and every single time without fail, I'm like, I absolutely love this song. And it's repetitive, it's redundant, but there's something about the repetition of the devil is a liar, God is exalted that just gets into my shondo. But the thing that I realized after I came out from under the throne is I really don't believe in the devil that much anymore. Like the devil that I was raised to believe in had, you know, red horns, red face, pitchfork. It was the one from uh, Lil Nas X's Montero music video, Call Me By Your Name. That was the devil to me. Is that the kind of devil you was raised to believe in, Sam? I think culture and society gave me an image of the devil, right? Hmm. Not necessarily the church or family. In church, the devil was almost anything that that tried to take God's place in your life. Hmm. But it wasn't necessarily this horned figure holding a pitchfork. Now, now, TV said that's who the devil was. I mean, yeah, and I guess my parents didn't raise me to believe in that either. That was definitely society. But my mother and father taught me that the devil was responsible for hmm. anything and everything that tried to take me away from God. So it wasn't necessarily that the things were the devil, but that the devil was this agent in the world who was trying to get glory on top of instead of beyond God and anything that I liked more than God. If I liked playing on my cell phone when I just had that old school flip phone because that's all we had back then or that Nokia's phone with Snake, if I used that more than I read the Bible, then somehow that was the fault of the devil. Or if I would get sleepy at night and not read my Bible before I went to bed or not pray before I went to bed. The devil made me not do that. So like, that's how I think I was raised to think of the devil. But um, in terms of the devil's embodiment, that was a cultural thing. I never actually had a strong image of the devil growing up, but I knew that he was very active in the world and he was always a he in my church, at least. Oh yeah, I certainly believe the devil is a man. But I, I hear you, Brennan, like... um I'm thinking about even now, I think my mom and my in-laws, like everything is the devil. Mm-hmm. I almost dropped my biscuit on the floor. Ain't nothing but the devil. That old devil. Everything is the devil. Nothing but the devil trying to keep you distracted. <laughs> nothing but the devil trying to keep you down. I failed my test, man. Ain't nothing but the devil. You didn't study, but you were saying it's the devil. So what is that? Like, why do we even have this need or desire for a devil in our world? The lyrics to the song that you mentioned said the devil is a liar. Oh, the devil is defeated. Is that right? The devil is a liar. God, God is, is exalted. exalted. The devil is a liar. I will never be defeated. I will never right. be defeated. I mean, but the truth is the devil is also defeated, mm-hmm. right? And so why does the devil play such a pronounced role in our lives? And, you know, always has a seat, yeah, a front row seat to everything and not just a seat but influence right and so it's kind of like the same victory that we proclaim through the cross through Christ and through whatever else we proclaim it through it's a very anemic salvation it's a very anemic deliverance it's a very anemic grace if the devil still has so much power absolutely just to backtrack a little bit we talk about Lucifer right Lucifer is this angel who tried to basically unseat God and was cast mm-hmm. into hell and became the devil but as I was thinking about this topic I was like okay Lucifer actually is a name that was utilized in broader stories and beyond Christian culture, right? It was associated with more folklore beyond Christianity. He was a part of Roman mythology. And ultimately, Christianity absorbed that into its own tradition as a name for the devil, right? So, I mean, when you start to trouble the waters a little bit to say, okay, the devil isn't unique to Christianity. Lucifer even isn't unique to Christianity, but it's something that came from a broader cultural tradition of talking about evil 
in personified ways. And I ultimately think that that's what it's about. And maybe that's the term we can take here to say, when we're talking about the devil, I actually don't believe that the devil is embodied being. I think the devil is a proxy for talking about evil. So should we really be having a conversation about good and evil? That sounds logical to me. And that's why I mentioned Harry Potter earlier, just for the record. Oh, that makes sense. Even though Harry Potter ain't evil. But Harry Potter was all about the war between good and evil, Mm -hmm. right? Harry Potter has a choice. And it's all about how this young boy is trying to make a choice between leaning into his evil desires or leaning into that which is good within him or good desires, positive desires. And that war is all internal for Harry. So ultimately, I think the devil is the embodiment of evil. And I do think that there are times and that there are moments where individuals can so fully embody evil that they do become a devil of sorts. And I don't think that there's only one devil. I don't think that the devil is a singular entity. I do think there are many devils. There are many antichrists, many people who have this spirit of evil that has consumed them. And oftentimes you see it in their faces. Their body is now manifesting it in their physical appearance. So like for me, I believe that's what the devil is. It's any person or individual who has become so consumed by evil that their physical appearance, their countenance starts to change. That's why in Harry Potter, you have Lord Voldemort who didn't always look like that. I mean, but you know who Voldemort is. You've seen that image, right? I think so. I'm about to look it up. If you look up Voldemort, like, I think that's what happened to him. At some point, he chose to give himself over to evil and his physical appearance started to change as a result. And his outward appearance reflected that which was going on on the inside of his heart. And so really the question isn't about whether or not the devil made you do something. It's about whether or not you've given over to evil and whether or not you've chosen to become an agent of evil in the world. So two things that I'm thinking about is you talked about many devils, right? I'm thinking about the scripture. I think it's Mm -hmm. in Mark somewhere uh, where Jesus meets this person who's possessed with a demon in the gatherings or somewhere. Brandon, you you know, you're a preacher. And uh, Jesus is encountering this spirit. And Jesus asks, what is your name? And I believe it's the the spirit says, we are uh, legion. For we are many. Mm-hmm. And so I think about that. I think about that. And that, that that word legion means like we're regimented. And so you think about how structured evil is, how how dynamic and complex it can be. But it's not just one. It's not just one devil. It's not just one. It's many. And so I'm thinking about that, that particular scripture as you talked about that. Um, but then I think about this concept of agents of evil, right? These folks who are like carriers of evil and then how that evil manifests mm-hmm. within them. And so now they, Brandon said they're ugly. That's what he said. <laughs> He's just ugly. I did say it. You know. <laughs> I said what I said. Some of these things are subjective what we might think is evil, somebody else might not think is evil. And then you kind of get over into this place where I hear like my very evangelical, I don't know if my mom's evangelical, but I hear my mom and even my in-laws, other family members who are a little more evangelical, who will talk about people's sickness being a result of their actions. You just you just need to go to church, you know, mm. you just need to, yeah. you just need to read your Bible a little more. Like I don't have cancer because I didn't read my Bible. 
there's a problem with that. Absolutely. So yeah, I think that that, that is a slippery slope. Like I don't think that I'm the one who says if someone gets cancer or if someone has some sort of other chronic illness that it's a result of them not doing something for God or causing harm to someone else. But I will say that there is research that suggests that if and when you do carry a lot of stress in your life, that those things can manifest as health conditions. And so for me, mm-hmm. I do think that talking about the devil in this way, especially when we're talking about personifying the devil as a physical person, a, a, the physical embodiment of evil, and we do ascribe that to individuals, it is a slippery slope. And we have to be careful with that. And I don't know if I actually have a metric for saying when or not you pass a certain line. But what I will say is, if you do an evil things, that will result in you being stressed. And if you do have stress in your life, chronic stress, chronic anxiety, that will manifest in physical ways in your body. It's inevitable. That's what the scientific research suggests, right? Right. So stop being evil. But why can't people stop? Do the people who are being evil know or believe that they're being evil? That's the thing. I think some people are being evil and they think they're being righteous. Let's define evil then. So what is evil? What is evil, Brandon? I mean, if you're looking at Webster's Dictionary, morally bad or wrong things, things that are wicked, things that cause ruin, things that cause injury, pain, things that cause harm. These are all sort of synonyms for evil and words that we use to describe it. So I know in my heart, when I'm sitting in a situation where someone has done me wrong, I oftentimes try to think about ways to get back at them and or to get even with them. And I feel in my heart something stop me because I know when I'm about to transgress a threshold that I can't go back from. And I can't spend that much of my time and my energy trying to get back at someone for doing me harm. So there's something inside of me that lets me know when I'm about to cross a threshold that I don't want to cross, that's beyond my standard of what is right, what is good, what is holy. And so for me, if I don't have that and I give into that desire to get even, and so now I'm in a work environment and because someone has caused me harm by obstructing my work, or somebody has caused me harm by telling lies about me, or somebody has caused me harm by attempting to remove responsibilities from my plate. If all those things have happened to me professionally, and then I don't have the internal motivation to stop, then what I'm going to attempt to do is the same exact thing that that person has done to me. And I know how that feels when I shift into that space and I stop, but not everybody does. Can someone not realize that what they're doing is evil? Absolutely. I think someone can become so consumed by themselves and their own agenda and their own quest for power that they don't even realize that they're being evil. Hmm. But that takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of giving in to evil over a lot of years. I don't think somebody wakes up and becomes evil. I think that they practice that. Evil is a habit Hmm. and it can become such a strong habit that you don't even know that you're operating in evil. You just think that shit is normal. So we're going to take a quick break right here and come back in a second because I think that we can take a small turn here to make this less about the individual and how individuals can embody and or be consumed by evil and talk about the systems that enable and embolden evil and how the devil, in fact, may just be white supremacy. We'll be right back after this. Hi, I'm Lisa Weaver, the host of Theolab Media's podcast, Healing Jephthah's Daughters a podcast for all women and all girls who live with the trauma from their relationships with their fathers. Healing Jephthah's Daughters is available on all platforms. Subscribe via your favorite podcast app today. And as always, my prayer for you is freedom, healing, and wholeness. 
Welcome back from that quick break. So for the last part of this conversation, I want to take a moment to think about the ways in which evil is made manifest in our systems and our structures. And I do think that the strongest embodiment of the devil of evil in the 21st century, especially in America, but actually also globally, it isn't an individual. It isn't a person. There are persons who are consumed by evil, but I don't think that they're the strongest embodiments of evil. The strongest embodiment of evil is white supremacy. Say more. White supremacy's only goal is to harm. White supremacy's only goal is to be malicious. It is to cause ruin, injury, and pain for black and brown people and for white folks who choose to be solid in the struggle with those black folks. Hmm. It's infamous. It's wicked. It is morally bad. It is morally wrong. There is no good fruit in white supremacy. Even those who worship at its altar are harmed by it. Those who want to MAGA again, make America great again, again, are actually causing themselves harm every time that they bow at the altar of whiteness. I think sometimes when we use terms like white supremacy, there are clear images that come to mind that we say, oh, he's talking about the rebel flag carrying, snuff dipping, tobacco chewing, Suspender-wearing, truck-driving, good old white boy from South Georgia who's not culturally aware and who believes that they are superior than everyone else. But when you talk about folks bowing at the altar of white supremacy, some of those could very well be people who are listening to this podcast. Yes. How do you help them understand that you're talking to them? In the days where I identified with Christian evangelicalism, Still as a black man, but I have this evangelical element to my faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My belief, my belief at that time was that Jesus Christ was the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody could come to God except through Jesus, and only Jesus mattered. You couldn't serve Buddha. You couldn't serve Muhammad. You couldn't serve Allah. You had to serve Jesus. And so because that was my core belief, it impacted every single thing that I did. It impacted my way of life. It impacted the decorations in my home. It impacted what I did on Sundays, on Tuesdays, on Wednesdays. It was a part of me. And even now today that I believe that differently and that I've come to a different place in faith, there are still ways in which my Christian upbringing is evident in the things that I say and do. I mean, the devil is a prime example. The fact that I'm like, the devil is a liar. I'll say that pretty quickly. And I blame a lot of stuff on the devil, even though this is not still a core part of my belief. It still pops up. And so for me, I think that white supremacy has a legacy and that ultimately white supremacy is about a belief that white people are superior to black people primarily, but also anybody else who isn't white. I agree with you. It's a belief. But again, it has a legacy though, right? Okay. So it's not the person who's carrying around a rebel flag. It's not the person who's carrying around a noose because maybe that's what they did 200 years ago. 200? And some people still do it today, 20, 30, 40 years ago, right? Like, And still in 2021 as well. But it has a legacy. And even if we no longer believe that in the same way, if somehow white folks and those who align themselves with whiteness have chosen to no longer lynch people publicly, at least not with nooses, if they've made that choice, there still are vestiges of that habit and that belief in their everyday patterns and ways of life. Professional organizations are just the easiest sort of framework for this. If in a professional environment, you have centered white leaders in a way that you're able to quickly and easily discount black leaders or black voices, and you think that white is always right, 
and that's evidenced in your policies and your actions, and that is a vestige of white supremacy. It's no longer a physical noose. Sometimes it's a policy noose. It's the way that you've written your policies to keep people out of certain benefits. Correct. When you think about that, like at at a national level, right? I think white people own 86% of wealth in this country. 86. 86% of wealth in this country. I think in comparison, the average dollar amount for a white family's wealth was like 171000 uh, it was 17000 for African-American households. But then you go back through history and you look at policies that reinforce that. It remains today and has been throughout history that home ownership was like one of the best ways for households to grow wealth. And look at how long Black people were locked out of home ownership. Look at the laws that existed. Look at the practices that existed and still exist. As recently as a few years ago, you still see major companies and corporations. I think some less than a decade ago, it was found out that that the Honda um, Corporation was charging more interest for black people than they were for white people. Yep. All of that is white supremacy. And so folks who are like, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't believe that uh, white people are, are, are better than black people. But you know the person who came into your job in the same position that you did is making less money than you did when you started. Yep. And that's a person of color. That's white supremacy. You know that you're being afforded, you know, opportunities that other people can't be afforded. I recently heard somebody talking about their professional journey, right? And how many years they've worked in uh, a certain mm-hmm. industry. And they said they started out as the dean of, I forgot what it was, like men or women or something at a, at a school like 40 something years ago. How did you start out as the dean? Hmm. How... How did you start out as the dean? My first job. My first job, I started out as a dean when my grandmother, well, not my grandmother and grandfather, because they never learned to read or write because they didn't have more than a fifth grade education. But for those who were blessed enough to finish high school and even get degrees, we've read about and we've seen stories depicted where black people with higher education credentials could not perform the job they were educated for. They were, they were window washers and they were busting dishes with their degrees because they were locked out of opportunity. That's white supremacy. And it trickled down through generations to their children and their grandchildren. That's white supremacy. Yeah. It's those folks on January the 6th that were at the Capitol that went back home to work in HR departments hmm. and as hiring managers and as loan officers. And as pastors. And as pastors and as doctors. And in these influential positions that disparately affect black people. I mean, there's a church right now in Nashville, Tennessee. We're still seeing footage from January the 6th, things that we still haven't seen yet, right? There's still new footage coming out. They saw their pastor in a video on January the 6th out at the Capitol rioting. And this church has chosen to kick out its pastor. But why now? Why now? Because he got because he got caught on video. Perhaps. Because he didn't just show himself on January the 6th. And that's the point you're making that I appreciate. Like, January the 6th, we want to make that this exceptional thing. As if this is such a rarity, we have to figure out how to explain this away in our history books. And that's really the only goal of progressive liberalism, trying to inquire into what's actually gone down, is to explain it away and to make it abnormal. But ultimately, to your point, Sam, there's fruit of white supremacy every single day in our lives. And that can be present in black people. It can be present in white people. It can be present in Latinx people. It can be present in black people. The character who I always point to is Stephen in Django Unchained. Samuel L. Jackson's character. Like the world wants us to love whiteness. And some of us make 
bets on whiteness. We bet our entire careers and livelihoods on whiteness, trying to get the same kind of power that white folks have hoarded for themselves. Hmm. And when people who've always critiqued that kind of power critique us, we say, but if I was a white man, you would let me do this. Hmm. And if that's the first word out of your mouth and you drank the Kool-Aid, you have become consumed by evil, consumed by white supremacy. And white supremacy is no respecter of colors and persons. White supremacy only needs agents to do its bidding. So if you're a white person listening to this, are you more likely to be consumed by white supremacy? Yes, absolutely. And I'm not going to give you a pass on that and I'm not going to take it back. But guess what? Black folks are just as prone, just as prone to the allure of white supremacy. Hmm. Now, many of us are socialized to resist that. And we get formation that lets us know that we've got two strikes against us because we're black. But how that sort of formation transforms when it goes below the surface can manifest as Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court bench doing black people harm because he's worked so hard to be accepted by whiteness all of his life. It can manifest as anybody in an organization who knows in their core that something is evil and wrong but because the only black they know is themselves and not blackness as a community, blackness as a collective, blackness as a political mindset. They can do black people harm while still playing a race card for their own benefit. Hmm. Just to wrap this up and get to our invitations, I do think um, the goal of this conversation was to help us to think about the devil. And we got to a place of talking about white supremacy in that, which I think is a natural progression. And we're not trying to give you any answers, but we're trying to help you think critically about where, when, how, and why the devil may have a place in your theology as like an active place in your theology or a subconscious space in your theology. And to think about the benefits of personifying that sometimes as individuals who have become so consumed by evil that they may look like the devil or by looking at systems and how those systems function as the devil on a daily basis. And it's not just the American political system. It's your own organizations. It's your own schools. It's your own churches. It's your own seminaries. It's your own universities. It's your own colleges. I'm, I'm reluctant to talk about systemic white supremacy in this passive way. Mm, say more. Because people run systems. Mm. Whether those are white people mm -hmm. or whether they are people of color, mm -hmm. people run systems. Absolutely. And if those systems reflect or represent white supremacy or whiteness in this evil form, I don't know if there's any other form it can be. No, I'm just saying. No, you're not. There is no other form of than evil. <laughs> then I think it's the obligation of the people who are integrated into those systems, whether it's the people at the top who are running them or whether it's the people at the bottom who seek to overthrow and overturn them. Now, I don't think the responsibility should always be on those people, but it's less likely that the people at the top, especially if they benefit from those systems, yeah. if their power is supported by those systems, they're not going to give up their power. Correct. And I think seldom do you get someone who ascends to those positions and their goal is to dismantle those systems because of the inequity. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, even the most well-intentioned people who are seeing those systems want to figure out how do we make it just a little more equitable without destroying the system. Yep. Because look at how the system is helping folks. And what they're saying is, you know, look at all of the people who have who have gotten rich. Look at me. Look at my wealth. You know, of course it helped me. Look where I came from. And now I got a big mansion and I got a house and I got a, you know, and I got my kids. They go to the best schools and, you know, all of this stuff. Even the poor, lower middle class white folks who are seeing these systems do not want to see these systems torn down. It baffles me. The craziest thing that I've seen is dirt poor white folks who supported Trump, but they still don't want to see the system brought down 
because it's a representation of whiteness. And even if I'm not, since white folks like to quote King, you know, he said, I might not make it to the promised land with you. Uh, like, I think that's how some of these these white folks are. It's like, I may not get there with you, yeah. but we ain't going to yeah. destroy this system because maybe my great grandchildren can rise up they might. and they can benefit from this whiteness. And, and, and they won't articulate it in this way because they're not thinking about it in this way, but they're not going to let go of the whiteness. They'll never let go because that means some little brown boy or some little chocolate girl will have more equitable access. Yes. And God forbid they ascend higher than than the lily white child, you know. Right. And, and, and I'm sure I'm sure there's some of our listeners, some of our good, well-intentioned white folks are shaking their heads saying, no, nah, Reverend White, that ain't what it is. All oh, Sam, and yeah, all white people ain't like that. Yes, she is. <laughs> you don't want to accept it, and I don't know why. No, but I think all white people are Harry Potter. And if you don't want to do Harry Potter, use Luke Skywalker. Luke, I am your, your father. father. The whole message of these movies is it is actually a choice. And just because I make the choice today to resist white supremacy doesn't mean that tomorrow I may not wake up and be more susceptible to its allure. It is a daily, hourly, minutely choice. And the most any of us can say is that we are anti-white supremacists or pro-black or pro-inclusion or pro-justice if you, if you want to talk about what you're for and not what you're against. Because at the end of the day, those things, they're actions. Being anti-racist is not an adjective. It is a verb right? Doing justice. You can't be justice. You have to do justice. It requires action. And I'm a person who is sat at the table. I'm a person who said, you know what? Somebody got to be at the table having the conversation with those who are making the decisions. And I know what it looks like to learn an institution's policies, to try to make them more procedurally just, and for that system to try to say to you, but don't you want a little bit of this whiteness? Because the system's going to ask you that every single day. Don't you want a little bit of this whiteness, though? We could do that, but don't you want a little bit of this whiteness? And you have to cultivate the muscle memory to say no to that, regardless of your race or ethnic background. But especially white folk. Because not only is the system going to ask you if you want some of it, it's going to tell you that you are entitled to it. That you're supposed to have it. And then there are black folks who spend their whole life drinking that Kool-Aid to the point that they also feel entitled to that kind of power. And if you question it, it's not that whiteness is going to say, but don't you want a little bit of this whiteness? It's going to say, but don't you remember you're entitled to this? And so I know what it means to resist that urge. And ultimately, as we saw with Martin Luther King Jr., who fought within the system for transformation, if you get too effective at using the institution's message against itself, if you are too effective at inviting people to a different way of life, the system will kill you. And that's exactly what King did. And it's not always a physical death with a gun. Sometimes it's professional assassination. Oh, yeah. But I want to I want to talk about that because that's exactly what King did. And when I would read uh, the things he wrote in, this, in the speeches that he gave, part of him believed in what America could be. And he said this. Mm -hmm. I think it was also the fact that he was saying, and he also said this, we just want you to be true to what you wrote on paper. He said, he said I'm going to hold you to your policies. To some extent, he was not naive. He was not kumbaya king. Nope. Because he said, the law can't make you love me, but it can keep you from lynching me. My God. And that's why it's important 
for people to understand policies and processes and law. I'm also thinking a little bit about my time in Palestine, Brandon, and understanding that they don't have a constitution in Israel, right? So those Palestinians who are in prison right now, who are in jail, they can't say, I have constitutional right that you are violating, that we do over here, that we say, this person has violated my rights. And we take them to court and we fight for our lives. Black people have to do it more than white people, but we, we fight and we say, uphold the law. Yeah, That's why it's important for people who get caught in this. And I know it's exhausting. I know it's tiring. Trust me, I know. But you have to stay in that fight and you have to make those people who wield their power recklessly accountable. Yes. So that you're not hurt again. So that the next person isn't hurt again. So that the generations behind you hopefully aren't hurt again. But that's what King did. And I appreciated King. A lot of people think he was just, oh, let's lock arms and let's march down the street because he want everybody to be brothers and sisters. That wasn't it. No, King was saying, if we're going to ever be equal, I've got to make you do what the law says you are required to do. Correct. That's what he died trying to do. I mean, and I love the point, right? I can't make you love me. I can't make you a better human. But what I can do is ensure that at minimum, you will follow your policies, your procedures, your laws, and that which your founding documents say you are to do. And and in in that March on Washington, he says, we've come to cash a check. That's been marked insufficient funds. This is your policy. This is your law. So we just want you to be true to what you wrote on paper. And all of this, I think, is helpful because for those of you who are like, how did we get here? This is still actually about the devil and about evil and about how our systems historically and still today embody that evil in ways that make them manifest as the devil. I mean, sometimes the most strong embodiment of the devil is an American flag. Ooh, my God. I'm not saying that to be inflammatory. I'm saying our symbols carry weight with them. And I got family members who served in the military. And every Veterans Day, we just had Veterans Day last week. I say, thank you for your service. I said to one of my family members today, I said, I don't know why we only do Veterans Day discounts for y'all because the United States military has fucked up so many of y'all's lives for ages, for decades, for years without thanks. And thank God for the VA, but the VA still ain't even that ain't good enough. Y'all, we need these benefits every single day for your service, mm-hmm. for your sacrifice. So don't hear me being unpatriotic, although I don't care if you do. But if you're looking for how the devil is embodied, sometimes it's in our loyalty to that flag because that flag comes with a history. Sam, let's do some invitations and get out of here because I could stay here all day. What you got? So my invitation is to those folks who are recklessly wielding power. For all of those folks who are listening and saying, am I, do I subscribe to white supremacy? It's likely that you do. And if you don't, you at least benefit from it. And that there needs to be ways in which you critically think about what it means to benefit from white supremacy, from structures and institutions and systems that continue to suborn white supremacy. We, we invite you to come on this podcast and let's have a conversation about it. Say, Reverend Sam, say, Brandon, I, I realize I'm a, I'm a damn white supremacist. <laughs> say it just like that. Or maybe I'm not a white supremacist, but I got what I got. I live where I live. I, I, I am what I am because of white supremacy. And what do I do about that? Boom. What do I do with that? Do I move out of my house and sell it and give all I have to the poor? Now, you you probably will never hear me and Brandon tell you, Jesus might have told you that. And Jesus might have said some shit like that. Know what you would have did? You would have been like, you ain't the Messiah. Right. Y'all know y'all would have told him to sit your ass down. You ain't no savior. Sit your uh, ass y'all would have told him just that. And y'all talking about you love Jesus. Y'all would have been like, she. he is not the one. Y'all can't even pass an infrastructure bill. Y'all- <laughs> Brandon, they would have been like, Mm-mm, Mm-mm. I got my doubts about this I'm one. Can't, he ain't, he ain't <laughs> it. Like, he ain't like, it. 
<laughs> this ain't the Jesus. This ain't the one we was waiting nope. for. There's coming another. Um, <laughs> but I think there needs to be conversation. We need to begin some conversations about what does it look like to disengage white supremacy? What does it look like to disinherit this evil, to not pass it along? I invite y'all. I invite y'all to come have a conversation with us. You ain't, you know you ain't got no black friends that you can talk to about it. Come have a conversation with us. Let's do it. On the podcast. We will do it. We will talk with you about it. And you know we're going to laugh with you. Because at the end of the day, I've talked to plenty of racists in my life. I've talked to plenty of white supremacists in my life. And I'm going to say some challenging things. we also going to laugh together. We might even cry a little bit. Come on, though. Is there one? And you might get cussed out. By Sam. But I want you to just, I just want you to take it and keep on going. Katie get cussed out all the time. I used to tell my, so when I was in seminary, uh, white folks would be so confused because I would be reading them for filth in class. And then I would see them on the elevator and be like, well, how are you doing? How's your mama? How's your daddy? How's your sister? How's your papa? How's your cousin? How's your baby? And my refrain became, we're going to be friends tomorrow, but right now you, you need to hear this truth. Mm-hmm. But we'll be friends tomorrow. My invitation is a little bit different. It's to progressive liberal folks who've gotten too good for the devil. What I've come to realize, and this is a full circle moment for me, I've come to realize this in today's conversation. The evil that black people experience on a daily basis at the Kroger, at the bookstore, at the mall, driving on the road, at work, at school, it is so great and it is so hard to name that sometimes the easiest thing that we can do is call it the devil and join our ancestors in that beautiful historic task of naming evil when and where we see it and naming that as the devil. And so to everybody who's too good for the devil, understand that that language comes from a deep place. I invite you to refrain from trivializing it. I invite you to refrain from naming people as silly who hold on to that language because sometimes it's the only language that we can grasp onto that doesn't make us break down and cry. Hmm. And so that's why for me, even though I've been educated and gone to the seminary, even though I've been there, I still return to the devil is a liar and God is exalted because I'll never be defeated. White supremacy is a liar. Oh, yes. My ancestors are exalted. Huh? Mm-hmm. Justice is exalted. And I'll never be defeated. Blackness will never be defeated. Ever be defeated. You, y'all been trying for years. Centuries. They ain't learned. They ain't learned. We still here. You can put us in the holes of the ship and transport us across the ocean. We're going to still thrive. You can chain us up, make us work in the fields in the hot sun. You can hang us on trees. But 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 seriously, when you think about that image, man, you think about that. Think about that. Think about what black people have had to endure. Just think about history and that we're still screaming at the top of our lungs. For some reason, Black Lives Matter. We still have William Barber inviting us to be repairers of the breach. <laughs> it's still here. Which is still here. Think about that. Just think about that. Think about that. Think about it. Black people weren't captaining the ships that brought Africans uh, to the Americas for, for free labor. And perhaps it's the case that you no longer need the devil because you are. And that brings us to the end of another episode of the Holy Shit Pod. Thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate you listening. If you are loving what you're hearing, if you're picking up what we're putting down, go ahead and give us a five-star rating over there on Apple Podcasts and write a little review too while you're at it. And if you're really, really liking what you're hearing, Sam already told y'all early in the episode, go to patreon.com slash Media and put a little love in the offering basket as it is passed. We will be back next week, same time, same place, and Katie will be here too. But until then, peace, peace out.